Well, I'm Leffler. This is George G. And the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Elizabeth Convery. Elizabeth, are you ready to do this? Yes, I'm excited. Thanks for having me, George. I'm excited to have you on. Let's go. Elizabeth is the founder of Very Real Estate. She's bringing a thoughtful touch to home buying with a special interest in first-time home buyers. Elizabeth, tell us a little about your personal life, some more about your work, why you do what you do. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I started my business in 2013 after years of working in commercial real estate. Um, my my job previous to starting my own business was um, working for a large commercial brokerage in New York selling hotels. I found that I just really wasn't satisfied. Um, I'm a millennial and the millennials, they have to connect with their work and I wasn't connecting with mine. Selling hotels was glamorous, but it was not getting me out of bed in the morning. So I took all of my experience with commercial real estate and I applied it to residential, hoping that I could make a difference in people's lives. And by creating an approach that was based in, you know, our tenants, our professionalism, market expertise and transparency for the largest transaction of someone's life, uh, we really were able to um, partner with people and help them to see a path to home ownership so that the goal was when they sat at the closing table, they felt completely confident in their decision to buy a home. Um, so I started the business in 2013. It was a boutique shop based in Philadelphia, which is where I'm from. Um, and I partnered the company in 2019 with Compass to layer in some really fabulous technology uh, to create not only the experience with the customer service, but also give the people the layers that they need of, of you know, technology and apps and AI and all kinds of fun things that I personally don't know how it gets there, but it's there. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah. So I'm married to uh, my husband, Chip, is a naval officer. And we have a son, Jack, who's three. And we're expecting a daughter in two and a half weeks or so. But who's counting, George? <laughs> <laughs> that is that that is pretty exciting. <laughs> Excellent. So you and I were talking a little bit before we hit the record button about um this trend of large financial institutions buying up single family homes and even this new trend of uh, them building single family detached homes that are just going to be rented forever. And the idea that the millennial generation isn't interested in, in home buying. So I wanted to kind of pick up on that, get your thoughts. Yeah. So um, I think it's a good investment play. We've talked a little bit about that for this company because rents are the highest I've ever seen in my career. Um, but overall, I don't really buy it. I think that millennials do want to become homeowners. I think that there are a lot of challenges to becoming a homeowner. Um, and there's a lot of misnomers out there, right? I think that the majority of people, now this is, I'm painting a very broad brush here, George, sure. but I think the majority of people think you know, you need 20% down to buy a house. We need to save all of this money. The housing costs are so high. How are we ever going to do this? Uh, but, the, you know, we have student loan debt. That's another major fear that people have. But I think by surrounding yourself with quality professionals who have been in the business a long time, um, you can get solid advice that you're not reading on the internet. 
that you're not seeing with the media. And you can speak to a lender who can say, you know, there are options for you at even as low as 5% down to get into a home. And I think that when most people start to, my experience has been when people start to see the numbers, the cost of renting versus the cost of owning, they see that the path to ownership is number one, attainable, but number two, really financially smart for them for the long term. Do you know, like, I have no idea what percentage of um, generations other than millennials are homeowners versus millennials? Yeah. So on average in the U.S., 65% of Americans own their own home. Uh, the baby boomer generation is even higher than that. They're closer to, say, 69%. Um, the generation above them, so our grandparents' generation, they're almost at 70 but millennials, believe it or not, are at 43%. And a lot of people say, you know, if you Google it even and you read the commentary, it says that the millennial generation are not homeowners because they're too young. But the average millennial is 34 years old. So last I checked, that's old enough to own a house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is interesting. So it's it's ability and desire. So the ability piece is, can I financially make this happen? Does it pencil out? And I want to talk about that. But the desire piece, that's obviously going to be on an individual basis, but I can't, like, why why would somebody not want to buy a house? Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't want to be tied down. They feel that owning a home is um, like a weight on their ankle, right? And they're say, I, I mean, I hear this all the time from clients, well, what if like I'm not here in three to five years? Okay, fine. That makes sense. Let's figure out what your exit strategy is, right? Are you going to rent it out? Because we know we just talked about how high rents are. Um, and there's always there is always a market for rental. You see big companies now buying up swaths of properties to be in the rental market. So there, there is an opportunity there. Three to five years is a really good number for selling a property because you can recoup your closing costs. Market appreciation is is pretty solid in America. I mean, you're looking at roughly on average 5% a year. So think about that, depending on on which market that you're in. Um, So I think that there is definitely that uh, fear of being tied down. I think there's also the fear of, look, millennials, we've lived through the 2008 crash. We've lived through seeing people lose jobs. We've had to move home with our parents, many of us, right? There's always that fear of, can I afford this? Is this going to be okay? Am I going to go into foreclosure? But don't we have that same fear about our rental properties? And I see very few millennials who are not renting um, expensive high-end properties. I mean, they're 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 renting, they're spending thousands of dollars doing it. So I think it's a matter of shifting the conversation to eliminate some of that fear. Yeah, I think that that is maybe a natural thing to just kind of throw up. Well, you know, I don't want to be tied down. What if the market crashes? But I haven't really thought it all the way through, or I haven't sat down and actually penciled out this is how much I'm actually spending renting and this is how much it would cost to buy. And I imagine that there's a massive upside. Should I happen to hold on to the house for five, six, 10, 20 years, it's going to be a source of potential massive wealth for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that people, look, our brains are not trained. It's, it's, it's nothing that we're doing wrong, but we're not trained to look at real estate as an asset class. 
We're trained to look at our 401k, right? We're trained to look at our stock portfolio. We're trained to look at cash to say, okay, well, how much money do I have? Can I pay all my bills? Is my is my portfolio appreciating? But very few of us, I think, look at real estate and say, wow, I'm paying off that mortgage every month, which means I'm getting more equity. I have higher ownership. And when I sell, that's going to convert to cash. Um, and so I think that needs to be part of the narrative. Yeah, it certainly it certainly strikes me that a lot of the wealth that older generations have experienced is due to their housing. There's all kinds of statistics about, you know, wealth of homeowners versus wealth of people who have rented their whole life, right? And percentage-wise, I, mean, I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but it's I remember it's a markedly different number um for net worth if you have owned real estate over your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the idea of um, saving money, renting, and then I'm going to take that money and invest it somewhere else. But doesn't always work out that way necessarily because we're human beings and we don't yeah. always make logical, great decisions. Yeah. I mean, and I see, you know, we're all on the internet, right? So we're all on Instagram and Facebook. And I see a lot of people talking about the additional hidden costs of owning a house. And it, it cracks me up when I see it because it's not a hidden cost. It's a common sense cost, right? <laughs> buying a house, you're going to pay utility bills. <laughs> if you're buying a home, you're going to have to paint the walls. You know, <laughs> if you're buying a home, you're going to eventually have to like replace the siding. I mean, these are things that happen, but it's the same thing of buying a car. Think about that. You buy a car, what do you do? You get your oil changed every month, right? You take it in when you need new brakes, you take care of the car, and the car will last longer for you. It's the same thing with real estate. Nope. There's a, a secret organization that is hiding <laughs> these costs hiding from people. costs of owning real estate. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> maintaining See what I mean? Property. This is why people are so afraid. All right. There's this this horrible cabal out there that, 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 that is doing this. <laughs> And all, all that makes sense. I imagine, you know, real estate, it's, 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 it's where we live. So we have this deep emotional tie to it and money itself is wildly emotional anyway. Um, and so why would I operate any differently when I'm talking about making the biggest purchase ever? That's going to freak me out. And it is, and it's, oh my God, it's this long-term commitment. And maybe y'all millennials have commitment issues as well. I can't speak to that. Um, <laughs> But then actually going through this process and saying, okay, yes, there are costs, there are maintenance fees and costs that you're going to have to come out of pocket on. So you need to make a smart decision and factor everything in. Yes. And it's important to remember too, when you're buying a piece of real estate, you're not buying it in a box, right? The internet has really helped us to be able to even virtually tour houses, right? I mean, during COVID, that's kind of all we were doing in, you know, in the beginning months of COVID. You're touring a house virtually, you're looking at the floor plans, you're doing all of these things. But the reality is that, you know, the property is, um, you know, it's it's just a, it's, it's just an asset at the end of the day. You have to live somewhere, you know, you have to uh, put money into it. And it makes sense to really kind of drill down on owning something that is tangible and you can kind of see where your money is going. Yeah. So in terms of of the ability to, um, I I think it is a really terrible thing that so many young people have graduated college with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and 
think we need to work on figuring out how to stop that kind of behavior. But here we are for a lot of people. So the thought of saving up a 20% down payment, I mean, I don't know what the average house costs in, in on the East Coast, but I'm sure it's a lot. So that is really daunting, but there are other options. Yeah. I mean, look, I think by working with a qualified lender and you can find them really anywhere, the best way to find a lender is to ask your friends who have bought houses, um, ask your realtor, start there. Um, Lenders will work with you with your financial package. And I think it's a misnomer um, that you need to put 20% down. I see on average in my business, and I'm based in the Philadelphia market. So to answer your question, the average home price in the Philadelphia downtown region is about half a million dollars. Um, so if you were to put 20% down, you know, you obviously have to save $100,000. However, most people are putting on average 10% down because they're finding that one, it's easier to save. Um, and two, you know, you still can be very competitive on your interest rates at that number. You can put as little as 3% down when you're buying a house. And many people don't know that. Um, There are additional costs related to that. However, the numbers, because the rental market is so high in Philadelphia, usually shakes out to be almost the same monthly cost. Hmm. So that is, that's just like you talked about transparency. It's really understanding what any additional fees would be and then making a, a, for lack of a better term, a grown up decision on whether or not I want to wait and keep saving money for a down payment so I'm avoiding extra costs or getting a lower interest rate. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not as really confusing as people make it out to be. Well, look, it can be, right? I mean, with anything. It, we're not given a manual when we graduate high school or college, right? Of like, here's how to balance a checkbook. Here's how to buy a house. Here's how to negotiate for a car loan, all of these things, right? So where do we go to learn about it? Well, a lot of us go to our parents, right? Millennials, particularly, we're always going to our parents for things. Um, or we go to the internet and we'll read articles. And it's it's shocking to me, like as we kind of joke about some of these memes and some of these you know, influencers on Instagram and all these things, the narrative, it creates fear around home buying. And I think a lot of people... I'm seeing it particularly now. Um, people want to jump onto the home buying wagon because they were too afraid to do it before. And now they're getting very nervous because interest rates are rising so quickly. And so, so many people in my you know client base, in my sphere have said, you know, when the interest rates were 3%, they said, yeah, but prices are so high. I, I'm not going to buy. I'm going to wait till the prices come down. Well, now the interest rates have gone up. And the prices are still really high because there's not a lot of supply, particularly, you know, to go back to your original point, when you've got large corporations buying massive amounts of properties, taking that inventory off of the market, it's classic supply and demand. If the supply is suppressed, the prices are still going to stay high. So I think there's a lot of FOMO going on right now, believe it or not, where buyers are saying, gosh, I wish I had done this. But I still need to do it because what if, what if now the fear is, well, what if it gets higher? What if the rates get higher? What if the prices I can no longer live in my town? What if this? What if that? And rental rates are going up just as quickly and you have a lot less control when you're renting. Yeah, I think that's a great way to think about it and look at it. 
you know, there's no solutions, only compromises. So I decide that I want to buy a home and I decide I want to buy it in downtown Philadelphia and I want all these things, but I'm never going to get all those things. So how do I, how do you help people figure out, okay, it's not going to work out perfectly, but let's get as close to as perfect as we can. Absolutely. So we coach everybody on what we call the 80-10-10 principle. When you're buying a house, 80% of it should have your non-negotiables. Now, these are things that are personal to you and your family and whoever you're buying the home with. So classic non-negotiables. I want a three-bedroom. I want to be in this neighborhood. I want to spend this much money. Okay. But it can be anything. Remember, personal to you. I've had clients who have said, I need to wake up with the sun. So my bedroom must face east. Um, I love to cook. So don't show me anything that has an electric range. Right. So we talk through what that 80% is. 10% is something you can change or upgrade. So I show you a property that has carpets from 1976. Shag orange disgusting let's go sophisticated enough to know you can change that right so there's your 10 percent, and 10 percent is something that you can't change but you're willing to live with so let's say that this property is two blocks further from your favorite coffee shop than you want to be i can't do anything about that you can't do anything about that but you've got 90 percent. so it's really a leveling conversation with the client to say that you know you're nothing is perfect in life. You're never going to get 100%. And if you think that you're going to get 100%, you're frankly probably never going to buy a house, right? But let's just focus on the 80. Let's focus on the 80 that are your non-negotiables, and we should not be looking at properties that don't hit those boxes. Now, if a client comes to me and says, hey, Elizabeth, look, I want this, 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 this. These are all my non-negotiables. And I want to spend $250,000. And I want to be in a luxury high-rise building in Philadelphia with a doorman. I, again, come back to transparency and say, not going to happen, but let's get a little more realistic. And let me show you some of the things that you can afford for two fifty. I love it. <clears throat> I love a good framework. And that's that, that. <laughs> That certainly does make sense. So. It makes our job very fun. I have to tell you, I've had some really cool challenges in the 80% over the years that have, um, I, I've risen to them. They've taken a little longer, but uh, you know, you build a client for life when you can deliver on things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't thought that for a second. So the difference between selling a hotel and selling a single family home Tons of differences, fairly similar. <laughs> yeah, so selling a hotel is obviously a much larger asset, um, but it really is very numbers driven. It's all about the investment return. It's all about uh, the repositioning strategy. Believe it or not, I'm not sure if you know this. I learned this when I got in the business. Most hotels are not owned by the brand that you think you're staying in. Mm. They're owned by a third party. Hmm. And then the brand is you know, a contract, essentially. Um, selling residential real estate is driven. So that's very analytical. So hotels, very analytical. The numbers work or they don't. This is going to be okay or it's not. Residential, very emotional, very connected to the heart. It's somebody's home. Um, it's driven, the sale is driven by lifestyle. 
So, you know, layer that in. Why are you moving? Oh, well, we're relocating to a new city. We've never been here before. We're expecting another baby and that baby's coming soon and we don't have a place for the baby. Um, we're getting divorced, you know, sadly, or we've lost a family member. Um, so, the, so you really are dealing with that layer of the real estate, but also the family or the individual. Um, and I think it takes a level of empathy that is, uh, it just has to be present in, in this business. Yeah. I think that makes a ton of sense. <clears throat> and it also makes sense why you take so much care to, um, be transparent and walk people through that. Um, just sort of for lack of a better term, kind of a financial underwriting. What uh, term do you use as I just try to make up terms, Elizabeth? That's true. I mean, it, you know, it is obviously an underwriting for sure. It is. I mean, it's, you know, you come back to an earlier part of our conversation where we said real estate is an asset class. So I always like to make sure that the the client understands the true financial costs, all of it, even those hidden costs that we laugh about. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also at the end of the day, I've had so many clients who have said to me, well, is it a good time to buy? Is now the time to buy? I don't know. Should I buy? And my answer to them is always, it's a good time to buy when it's the right time for your family to buy. If you're outgrowing your home, we can't time the market. You've got to make a move. Um, so it it takes both of those things in tandem. Love it. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more so about you? How, how can they engage? So I'm on Instagram at elizabeth.convery. This is a new account that I created in the fall um, to really give home buying tips. Um, I talk on there about coaching that I do with my team. Um, I do a lot of team lead coaching as well. So there's some tidbits there for realtors. And I also talk about being a working mom, which is <laughs> has its own challenges and, and fun little stories. So you can find me at elizabeth.convery on Instagram. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed as much as I did, show Elizabeth your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, find Elizabeth on Instagram. It's Elizabeth, E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H dot Convery, C-O-N-V-E-R-Y. And um, figure out if now is the time to buy your next house. Very well might be. Elizabeth, thanks again. Thanks, George. Have a great day. You too. And until next time, remember... Do your part by doing your best.